Hello and welcome back to Equity, a TechCrunch podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. It is Saturday and I'm here with a surprise episode because we had something to talk about and we had someone to talk about it with. So today the theme is robotics and I have rustled up our friendly local hardware editor here at TechCrunch, Brian Heater. Brian, hello. How are you? Alex, first of all, thank you for coming in on a Saturday. I appreciate it. I know you've got a lot to do. For you, anything. Lawn mowing and, and whatnot. Actually, no, I don't mow my own lawn. I've outsourced that to other people because it turns out that the little push lawnmowers are awful. And uh, that's why we invented powered lawnmowers, it turns out. Well, we've also invented robotic lawnmowers, Alex. Are those any good? I mean, we're going to get to some of this stuff later on, but are those actually good enough to like go out and buy if you're a regular person? I don't know. Here's what I'll tell you. Uh, a couple CESs ago, maybe, God, probably like three or four CESs ago, iRobot announced that they were doing a robotic lawnmower. It has not come out yet. Ah, probably a lot of reasons for that. You know, they, they did have some layoffs and there were some like there, there, there were some struggles with the company at one point, but it's also probably something really hard to get right. The way most of them work right now, I believe, is you effectively like show your robot what the lawn is give it a layout and then it'll sort of like automatically go through and hopefully miss all of the things that it's supposed to miss ah. so i don't know i live in new york city so I've, I, I've never tried them out before yeah well you should come up to the burbs uh, up here in providence you can have eight nine even ten square feet of lawn it's impressive you can uh you can have your own grass die on you every winter anyways people who don't know you you've been on the show once or twice last time i think was the bowery ec1 timing but as a refresher for folks who uh, are just hearing your voice perhaps for the first time you are the hardware editor here at TechCrunch. You write the Actuator Robotics newsletter. Your Twitter account uh, says that you are a quote, a Yacht Rock thought leader, which I mm -hmm. think is very important. And just going back in your personal history, PC Magazine, Engadget, Boing Boing, others, a, a long and illustrious career that is also included, if I may be so bold, your own podcast, the Recommended If You Like podcast, which has more than 500 episodes. And, uh, Giving you 10 seconds here, what's it about? Uh, it is a, a long-form interviews with creative types. It has sort of transformed into a music podcast lately. So we had like William Kramer of the MC5 on recently, Joan Osborne, Janet Weiss of Slater Kinney, uh, Graham Nash was on. So I don't know if you like people talking about making art for 45 to an hour long, then it's maybe the show for you. Yeah. And if you don't, well, there's always equity where we currently are. <laughs> Um, the only other podcast. The only other podcast. There's only two. There's your podcast and my podcast. No, we do have a robotics event coming up on July 21st, which is online and free. So if uh, if what we talk about you know tickles your fancy, feel free to take a look at that. We'll have links in the show notes, and we'll talk about that more at the end. But, Brian, to kick things off, I have pulled some venture capital data about the robotics startup world. And at least to start 2022, it appeared that venture capital rates, according to Crunchbase News, are pretty strong. Through Q1, $5.4 billion versus $17.1 billion raised in 2021. So my question is, are we seeing a slowdown in robotics venture capital, or is this going to be a sector that dodges the downturn entirely? We are seeing a slowdown, but personally, it's a far smaller slowdown than when we're seeing macro with VC uh, in general, because the it, it basically... I mean, this is a space that I've been covering for like probably 10 years at this point. And I remember the conversations that I would have 10 years ago with, you know, I'd go to like a research lab and they'd say, hey, five to 10 years, five, 10 years, you're really going to see this stuff start to hit. And, you know, obviously, like when people give you numbers like that, they're, 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 the goalposts tend to move. Yeah. And then this global pandemic comes and all of a sudden, like, Everybody's interested in investing in this stuff, and you know every company is interested early on. One because, like, obviously, we are 
uh, we're walking disease vectors. So if you have like <laughs> yes. a restaurant or something, it makes sense to have people stay home and use these robots. Um, obviously, you know, Amazon had a big head start on everyone else. Amazon Robotics uh, turned 10 years old this year. That's part of the reason why they were really able to keep things going in the background. And then fast forward to right now, I say this is somebody who just got COVID last week, but the pandemic has died down a little bit, but pretty much across the board, especially in a lot of these uh, blue collar jobs, companies are really having trouble finding human workers. So I, I think that we're going to continue to see really strong investments, particularly in those parts of the robotic space, but pretty much across the board moving forward. Uh, I think walking disease vector would be a great name for a band. Uh, so someone mm -hmm. should get on that immediately. Also a great Tinder subheadline, I think. That'd be fantastic. Going back to the pandemic, though, one thing that did catch my eye prepping for this little chat was that venture capital fundraising for robotic startups in 2020 was relatively small. And I would have guessed that the moment the pandemic hit, robotics fundraising would have instantly jumped because, as you said, people can't show up in certain places. It's safer to have robots. So why was there so much lag in venture capital showing up to invest in what was probably looking like a, a growth industry for so long? I mean, it's, that's a really interesting question. I think one, so, you know, remember, here in the US, it really hit in about April. So, you know, that, that's not quite half the year, but, you know, somewhere between a third and a half the year of sure. like not really dealing with COVID and, and certainly not knowing what the scope of it was, was going to be. It took a while to ramp up. And I think, you know, I if you talk to any VC, they're going to deny this, but pe people are, are chasing these, you know, like it, like everyone likes to think that they're sort of like predictive of these bigger, broader global trends, but people started to see what was happening around them. And then the investments really started in earnest. And Got if it. you look at the figures from 2021, it's like light years above everything else. Yeah, it effectively tripled. So the amount of money flowing into robotic startups, you know, went up by, you know, 300% year to year, which is a crazy amount of money. But also, as we know from everything else, 2021 was itself a crazy year in venture capital full stop. So it's not a huge shock that robotics was so caught up in the wave. But as you said, things are slowing down a bit less than other sectors. So I'm curious about why things are slowing down less. And my hypothesis is that demand for robotics technologies is probably still pretty strong. There's still a labor shortage out there to some degree. People are still somewhat staying inside. Some people are. And so are macro factors helping to kind of support the startups that are therefore receiving more capital than other sectors today in robotics? Yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It, it, so, so I mean, here's the thing, right? I mean, there, there, there's a reason why people have traditionally been really reluctant to invest in this category because you, it's really long tail, right? I mean, this mm. stuff takes a lot of time. And traditionally, we could talk, we can get to this at some point because you're still seeing this to a certain extent. There, there's, there's a lot of failure. Ah, and there's going to be a lot okay. of failure. You know, th this is this is deep tech in a lot of cases. A lot goes into it. It's a lot more than hardware. We're talking like AI, ML sensors. Um, you know, everything else that goes into it. So if, if I'm a VC firm, then I really have to be in it for the long haul. You know, and and if you talk to any of the good people in the space, and you know. Natasha's talking to three really great ones, they will tell you that they are making a point to be involved in the long run. And that means, you know, one sort of a commitment to continue investing and like, and maybe joining their board, things like that. I mean, if you, if you make that initial investment in a robotics company, the onus is on you to prove to the founders that you are going to continue to support them. Essentially, you need long-term patient capital to approach the robotic sector because results might be either never coming or relatively far off. Okay, let's let's talk about AI because you brought this up and I wanted to touch on it. Going back to the uh, the lawnmower example that we had earlier, 
to map out your lawn and hope that the lawnmower is smart enough to kind of follow the map that you put out there is time consuming and annoying. And the thing that I want is to take a small, you know, Roomba shaped thing, drop it on my lawn and say, go forth and don't be an idiot and, and trim the grass where there's grass and not where there's flowers. And AI is going to be required for that. So I, I'm curious in a robotics context, how fast are we seeing the AI improvements that seem to be coming around the software world show up in how robots perform in the world? So I'm going to cut the line a little bit. And I know that at one point you do want to talk about autonomous vehicles, but this this stuff is all super interrelated here. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the advancements that are being made by like Carnegie Mellon and Waymo and all of these companies in the autonomous vehicle spaces are are trickling into robotics generally. Okay. Because, you know, we're seeing these self-driving products all over the place. There is a big gulf there, right? So Part of the reason why fulfillment and warehouse robotics have been so successful is because they operate in a very controlled environment. You know, it's 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 a warehouse. You can train the system on it. Largely, I mean, there will be people there, but largely, you know, what the people are doing. The gulf between that and operating on city streets and being able to prove yourself there is is really tremendous. And 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 obviously, like the downside if something bad happens at you know sixty five miles an hour versus in a warehouse are are different. And, and a lawn is somewhere between the two. It's probably closer to the warehouse space because, you know, if worst case scenario, you, you get hit by a little Roomba uh, lawnmower, you're, you're probably okay. But right. it's far less of a controlled environment. That said, I think between all of the mapping, the sensors, everything that we're seeing right now, and, you know, some of the external things, you know, if you have a Roomba, you know that there are little gates that you can set up, you can do that on a lawn as well. Like, I think it's very feasible to have a system that can do that well in 2022. You know, the more I think about computer vision and as it relates to robotics, the more important it seems. Because, you know, when you see those uh, little clips of the really impressive uh, robots working on like car frames and doing the welding and the moving of the arms, all that I think works mostly because the car arrives and stops in the same place every time so it can do the same action. So it, it's very, very balletic, but it's not uh, flexible, if that makes sense. And so I, I wonder if, you know, we won't see the types of robotics that I want, which is a robot that, you know, walks around, does my dishes, brings me hot tea and so forth until we've solved the self-driving problem and LIDAR or whatever are so advanced that we can apply that cheaply to consumer grade in-house robotics technology. That's one of about 8 million problems that need to be solved in order to get where you're talking about. 8 or, million? All right, I'll take two more. Or to get to where Elon Musk is talking about. And there's a reason why people are very skeptical of this idea that he can deliver a humanoid robot that could both build cars and like, you know, pick up your laundry for you. Yeah. That's really far down there. I, I tell this story a lot because I, you know, really, I, I think it speaks to something that I've been dealing with a lot over the years. I, um, I was asked to speak on a panel, like, I was actually filling in for our friend Anthony Ha. He like yeah. had to ditch out last moment for something, you know, very, very irresponsible, that guy. Terrible. We spent the entire time talking about robots, and then afterwards we opened it up to Q&A, and this woman, like, she's sitting front center, her hand shoots up, and she says, I have an idea for a robot. I'm like, great. She goes, what if, what if somebody made a drone? I'm like, okay, I'm listening, and it could, like, clean the floors and clean the walls and do your dishes, and I was like, that's great. But I don't think that the reason why that doesn't exist is because nobody's had that idea before. Right. I think the, re the reason why that doesn't exist is because there are so many potential points of failure in the real world. And right now, I would say the vast majority of robots that we have right now are very purpose-built. If you look at industrial robots in general, they are generally built to do one job, do it well, but do it over and over again. So then, I mean, this brings into into play things like AGI or artificial general intelligence something 
to have a robot that can be a drone that can do dishes that can clean the walls and the floors. I mean, it's probably gonna have to have a very flexible brain unless you're going to purpose write software for it. So it sounds like to have the robots that we want, that I want, that I think about as, you know, personal help robots, there's several key blockers in the technology stack that we're far off from solving. Flipping this around to the industrial side, are there similar blockers to progress there or does a constrained environment essentially allow fewer speed bumps to impact the progress of technology? So I'm going to say this with a very important caveat that I should have done up front, which is I am not a roboticist. I am somebody who just who writes about them for TechCrunch. <laughs> that said, yes, constraints are, are a big leg up. There is a few reasons why that category is accelerating. That's one of them. The other one is Amazon full stop. Amazon yeah. has been doing this for 10 years. Every single retailer and everything else is trying to figure out how to compete with them. And like, that's a good opportunity for all of these people coming up. Given my relatively limited knowledge, if I had to put my finger on something, I mean, obviously general intelligence is a big part of it, but I think in a lot of cases, it is very much a mechanical issue. Interesting. Well, so like, like look at it this way, right? Have you seen the Aster robot that Amazon made? Uh, I've seen a variety of Amazon YouTubes over the years of them making stuff, but I don't know if I've seen this one. It's a little, Haya did a review of it, and I, I, I was at Remars a couple weeks ago, and I talked to the head of the team. It's a little, like, little robot about maybe a foot high, okay. rides around on wheels, communicates with you, you know, has a little like periscope for security features, but it doesn't have arms. Huh. Because arms are really hard to do at that scale, at that price point. There are a lot of barriers to entry there. And like, there's only so much that you can do with a robot like that without arms. And again, that's a big part of the reason why the Roomba is, again, full stop, the only successful mainstream household robot in the world. Well, them and all the other, you know, knockoff right. robotic vacuums. Right, right, right. I mean, I, I love robots, but they're deceptively simple. It's essentially a large hockey puck with um, kind of a, a circular bit of brushes beneath, and it makes a, a god-awful amount of noise, but it does clean your floors. And we've had those for a long time. I, I was curious why we haven't seen more stuff become popular, but it sounds like the technology isn't advanced enough in general. Miniaturization is hard, and getting component costs or build costs down to a consumer level is is tough. I'm now kind of curious how venture capitalists can invest in this space at all, given that they usually have a 10-year time horizon per fund. And the stuff that we're talking about seems to have more like a 20 or 50-year solution horizon. So, you know, where are VCs investing, perhaps, is the better question, inside of robotics. Let's do a little really quick thought experiment here, right? So think about your home and think about any of the sort of household chores or anything else that you would like a robot to do. Like name, name two or three of them. Folding laundry and okay. um, sorting our mugs. Okay. Mechanically, what's required to do that? Okay. I need to be of the correct height to look at the mug shelf, I uh, to both mug shelves. I then need to be able to differentiate between them. I then need to be able to sort, which means holding, organizing, putting things maybe in the wrong place and moving back later. It requires a lot of physical and mental dexterity, actually. A lot of those vision things, I mean, I'm not going to say they're not hard problems to solve, but like there's certainly things, if you look at researchers, like they've got a very, like there's a lot of progress being made there. Yeah. But again, the piece that you're missing is the robotic arm. Mm. We have seen robotic arms in the industrial space. They're really expensive and there's a lot of points of failures. And that's a big part of the reason why, like it's going to be a long time, I think, you know, there are people making some progress there, but it's going to be a long time before we see that. And and because of that, like, I think Amazon is doing some interesting things. I think that we will have home robots at some point in the future. If I'm a VC, though, right now, looking at all the startups I see, one, I'm not seeing a lot of progress being made in that space. But two, like, that is probably not a category that I'm going to be investing a lot in because, like, I, I just don't think anybody has quite cracked that. Now, now that said, fulfillment and logistics are, are yeah. 
100% the biggies, both in terms of like the startups that we see, but also if you look at a lot of these advanced robots, if you look at Boston Dynamics, you know, I know, I know you like the dog robots. If you I see do. the spot robot, well, I guess less so the spot robot, but, but their other robot is the handle robot, the, sort of the big arm that moves boxes around. If you look at agility, there's somebody we've written about a bunch. By the way, both Boston Dynamics and agility will be at our event next week. Woo. Agility makes this really cool two-legged bipedal robot. It's called Digit. It's incredibly impressive. You know, its predecessor is capable of running a 5K. It's a spin out of Oregon State University. They created this really impressive technology. And then the big question is like, what do we do with it? How do we commercialize it? Their first thought was, oh, we can do sort of last mile deliveries. They demoed it at CES a couple of years. They had a partnership with Ford. We're like the back of the self-driving Ford opens up. Digit comes out and he drops box off. I think they realized that like, at least at this point, doesn't really make that much sense to do it. So, so they really pivot in, into warehouse. So okay. that is 100% the category right now. I would say um, food robotics, ag tech, there's a lot of incredibly interesting stuff happening there. Pretty much like across the board, medical, like anything that can be automated is being automated right now. So when I think about Amazon's impact on the robotics world, what I think about are the robots that go underneath like the pallets and kind of pick them up and scoot them around? The Kiva robots. Thank you. Yeah. Because they bought that company for quite a lot of money back in the day. I am actually speaking with one of the VPs of fulfillment there. And what I tend to say is Amazon Robotics started 10 years ago this year with the acquisition of Kiva Systems, which as you said, they're these little wheeled robots. And effectively what they do is they ride under shelves and they move the shelves around. Yep. You've seen video. Our friend Vianne and I, a couple years ago, went to this huge, their huge fulfillment center in Santa Ana and saw them in action. It's really impressive. It's basically like, let's keep all of the associates largely stationary and have the shelves come to them. That was essentially the, the building block there. And what he'll tell you, and I think this is a really interesting aspect of the conversation, is the vision to one, basically create an ecosystem built around that. And the way to do that is to effectively have fairly modular robots that can be adapted to different tasks, which again runs counter to this more traditional idea of a single purpose-built robot that does the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So just kind of summing all of this, it sounds like there's a lot of work to be done on basic science and manufacturing to get some stuff in place for more robotics in our lives. But even when that happens, they're going to kind of probably from first the warehouse and then to our homes. And that means that robots uh, that we'll see will have an impact on the labor market. And I'm curious about how entrepreneurs and founders in the space talk about that, because I don't think that the jobs that we're automating are the jobs that we'd like to keep. But I'm curious if there's any pushback or concern about de-jobsing some folks out there who currently work with their hands and might get uh, replaced by a robot. Yeah, so this is something you're going to hear come up a lot, <laughs> again, at the event. Um, one, something I spoke with this Amazon VP about, something Kirsten spoke to a bunch of folks on the fulfillment panel about, Locust Robotics, Fetch Robotics, and Berkshire Gray. It's, it's a really important topic. And I try to be very sort of pragmatic and, and realistic to a fault about it in that I think like every roboticist has a very sort of rosy view of where things are going. Because if you look historically, they'll tell you this, and, and, and it's not wrong, the vast majority, with very few exceptions, I think like the one exception I always hear is um, elevator operator is the only job that was like fully outright replaced by technology. But if you look in the long run, generally, these technologies, they create more jobs. And as you're alluding to, they, they create better jobs, right? So they, they take a lot of the sort of hard labor backbreaking work that we do. I tend to agree with that, but I always push back a little bit because I say, listen, do we not have an ethical responsibility 
to those people because we know long run, maybe things are going to get better. But there are a lot of people who are going to lose their jobs in short term and they don't have the education required. You know, maybe they weren't lucky in life or, you know, any any sorts of reasons, you know, why why they're taking those jobs. So my, my big question is always, who does the onus fall on to either retrain people, support those people, but make sure that like if they do lose their job, that they still continue to support themselves. I think some companies do have some interesting initiatives to actually educate their workers in-house, but I really do think that one of the things, and this is something I'm going to be speaking with the labor secretary about, is I, I think generally politically, you probably know where I stand on stuff, Alex, but, but I think that this is a place where it makes sense for the government to step in yeah. and really do a good job of, of effectively retraining these people. Well, effective government. Uh, I think we're actually going to get self-driving cars before that. Sorry to be a bummer. But Brian, we have to actually, we have to go. But before we do, I want to do two quick things. One is uh, note that you're talking to the CEO of iRobot on Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern time on a Twitter space. So where Correct. will that be hosted? Is that on the main TechCrunch account? Yep. Okay, great. And then also uh, July 21st, the day before my birthday, critically enough, is the robotics event. Not a coincidence. It was going to be on the 22nd and then we moved it because we, we, we thought you needed a day. We didn't want to take the focus off of you. I, I appreciate that. TechCrunch is having a whole uh, day-long festival in my honor. Uh, no, <laughs> no, we're not. But uh, if people do want to sign up for the event to come take part and listen into all the stuff, where should they go to do that? Well, Alex, I'm glad you asked. And I need to say this is incredibly important. It is 100% free. Woo, free. The entire thing. And I don't, think we've done that for an event before it's like beginning to end this entire thing is free you can watch completely online if you just go to the official tc sessions robotics page you can sign up for free there yep so if you just google TechCrunch sessions robotics 2022 it'll come up you can sign up drop your name in and then swing by and hang out with all the cool kids on july 21st 2022 uh, brian heater our hardware editor a now multi-time equity guest of the show and uh, we'll have you back and thank you for your time and for everyone else go robots <laughs>